Welcome to the Unmothered Podcast. Join me as we explore all the feelings and confusion surrounding the mother-daughter bond. Laugh with me, cry with me, and learn new ways to cope with what can be a very lonely existence without a mother to rely on. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, peeps. Welcome back to another episode of Unmothered. Today, I'm going to, again, talk about an episode that I saw. Um, It's actually a documentary. I want to talk about mental health. Um, It's something that is pretty much a hot topic these days with all the different things going on in the world, especially in the schools and with children, young children, teens, that kind of thing. And it just really resonated with me because of the traumas and things that I went through as a young child and a teenager. And I came across this documentary and I think it was, I actually don't know which streaming service it's on, but it's called American Tragedy. And it was actually about the Columbine high school shooting, which was in 1999, I believe. They were interviewing different psychologists, different um, the teachers, like different people. But what they did was they actually interviewed one of the killer's mother, Sue Klebold. So Dylan Klebold was one of the shooters in the Columbine high school shooting And so they did this documentary with his mother, and it really, really touched my heart, guys. If you get a chance to watch this, if you can, if it's too triggering for you, please don't. But I'm always fascinated with, I have always been fascinated with like why people do what they do, mental health, like why the brain works a certain way. And I think, I believe it's because, you know, watching my mom suffer in her own mind was such a eye-opener for me and um, a shock for me to see other moms who didn't act like that. And then just growing up with like, there was a lot of mental health issues in our family with different relatives and things. And so I saw a lot of how, what normal behavior is and what abnormal behavior was and wondering like, why does that happen? So I had this fascination since, since really probably teen years of just being fascinated with books and things on autobiographies and movies and things on like, it sounds kind of gory, but like, you know, killers, like serial killers and things like that. Like, why do they act like Charles Manson, right? Why, why did he do? And then if you look back at his childhood and how he, he had been in institutions like juvenile hall and, you know, all these different jails and different, he had been through all of these things at a very young age and then had been abused as a child, you kind of like, you see like where the brain activity can actually change. And so I was really fascinated with this documentary because we are in a place right now where more than ever, children are suffering. Like children are, they're, they're going through harder things than we've ever, ever, ever gone through. And they're all under a Petri dish of social media. So every mistake they make now can be blasted out across the world. And there's no turning back from that. And so that can really affect children. So I wanted to kind of go into how we can help children with their mental health, with their emotional health. Now, 
<laughs> disclaimer, I'm not a doctor or anything like that. These are just my opinions and just things um, I'm pulling off of this documentary of things that I saw that I was like, wow, this is really powerful. So just a couple of points we're going to cover today is, is really how to teach our children how to handle their feelings. Like when is it a good time to discuss feelings with your kids and what is age appropriate when you have to talk about hard things and then what kind of things can we do to help them through tough times, even at a young age? So like I said, I started watching this interview and the very first person was Sue Klebold and it just broke my heart because I realized even in the midst of, you know, this was her son's fault, we're not sugarcoating that, I my heart broke for her because we don't think about the killer's parents sometimes or their relatives um, and how, you know, they they didn't, I don't even know how to phrase this, but they didn't ask for that kind of life after this whole incident happened. They become instantly the villains along with their sibling, their, well, if they're a sibling, if they're a parent, if they're an aunt or uncle, it's like everyone gets meshed into this family of what this one person has done, right? And so they're automatically saying, well, this must be the parents. Like the parents didn't take care of, how could they, and I've done this. I'm like, how could they not know that there was guns in the house? How did they not know that there was stuff on his computer? But then if you think about it, do you really know everything that your teen is doing? Honestly, like if I look back and even now, you know, my kids, my grown daughters have come to me and they said, oh yeah, we had that hidden. And I said, I went through your drawers. I went through things, but there were things that they had that I didn't know where they were and they, they knew how to hide it. So honestly, you know, they talked to this psychologist and they said, we love to place blame somewhere. And it's usually the parents because we parents should be responsible for their children. And I agree with that. We need to be responsible for our kids until they're 18. And then really like they're adults, like they can do whatever they want and that's on them. They have to be responsible for their life. Like we can't hold on to that. It must be the parents kind of thing for, you know, forever. You know, you can't say like if a 30 year old goes out and does something horrific, you can't blame it. Well, it must be his parents. He was raised horrible, like whatever. It's like, no, he's an adult. Like let's, let's call it what it is. The psychologist made this really good point. And she said, people like to place blame so that they can like put a period at the end of like this whole thing and just like make it like, yep, that's, that's why it happened. It's the parents fault End a story Bye. like we're done. And it just makes it easier to cope that way as observers, right? But then if you think about it and you listen to this mom and you see the pictures and you see the videos, she was a good mom. Well, they had mom and dad. He, his parents were together. Mom, dad, they had a brother, older. I think he had an older brother. They showed these pictures of like, they were the American family. Like they, they went on vacations. They had, you know, laughter in their house. They had you know, wonderful things that they did. And she was very much involved in her child's life. Now, she will tell you she saw a change happening, but we see that in teens all the time. My kids changed in their teen years and then change back after they went to college and then changed again after college was done. So, 
you see these changes, you don't want to go into a panic of like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? They're not, they're being closed off. They're depressed. They're this, they're that. But these days, it's almost like we have to be diligent in that a little bit more because when they get to that place, there is a, there's a place where they can go completely on the other side, you know, I guess brain chemically where they're just done. They're just done with life. This is when kids don't see the hope in life and they commit suicide or they have been bullied, which by the way, like not, not that this is a defense in any way, but these kids were bullied horribly. Why? Because they weren't the sports stars. They didn't want to do the normal things that kids in high school did. And no one talks about that other side because it, is it fair? No, they don't have a right to go into a school and kill them over that. But you can see where that totality of like being beaten down mentally day after day after day, probably physically on some level too. If there's football players or whatever, I'm not bouncing out football players, but you know, people that are good in sports that maybe are just bullies, any kind of a dude that's like a bully or a girl could be a bully too. And they come at you physically or mentally day after day after day, there comes a point where you just break and you're like, I'm done. Like I'm taking you out or beating you up or whatever it is. And so I can see where that happens. Do I justify that? No, I don't think that there's any justification, but here's where the mental health thing comes in. Is like, why are we not helping them through this? And I, I ask, why are we not having better mental health counselors in schools? Because we see those things happening as adults and we're turning our eyes the other way to it. Again, not to blame anybody on that. I know it's super hard. The schools are impacted. Teachers are amazing. I have relatives that are teachers. I love teachers. I think teachers, they were so impactful in my life when my life was crazy. There was a few teachers that saw beyond who I was, just the girl in high school cutting class, and they would pull me in and say, hey, come in, come in and help me. Like, be my assistant today. They didn't have to do that. They could just say, like, she's a loser she's not going to make it. She's not going to graduate. Like we don't need to pay attention to her. They saw something beyond. And so I, I have a great respect for teachers, but I think as a process, as all of us together, parents, teachers, superintendents, principals, like let's name it all, right? Nobody is really paying attention to the mental health of these kids. And we're just shoving them into school and hoping for the best and hoping that they come out okay. I think the other thing is, is that we think that if we throw our kids into academics or sports, that that's going to be good enough. But I've seen some mental health problems even within that. You know, as parents, we hold this pride tape over our heads. I see this all the time with well-meaning parents, but it's like, my son or my daughter is on the XYZ travel team. My son or daughter got on the Dean's list and they're a 4.5, whatever that means. You're yes. We already know your kid's smart. It's like they throw these badges around like these honorable things like that's supposed to make their child a hundred percent. But if I look at the kids, sometimes I see these kids very stressed out not really socially inept. And I have seen some of these kids be super intense and bullying. And 
their parents don't want to see that part of that because to them winning is having these badges of honor. If my kid does X, Y, Z, they're going to be good, right? They're going to be healthy. But even in that sense, it could be a bad thing. And then you flip to the other side where probably where these two boys were, they didn't want to go into sports. They were kind of what they called the goth movement, but they really weren't goth. They just, they were depressed. Let's be real. Like they just didn't want to conform to these things at school. And they were probably, I would think, more creative kids. And there was no platform for them to like really be, there wasn't a place of honor for that. You know, they were just nerds and they were crazy kids. And so they had each other to feed off of. And unfortunately, with altered brains, they had each other to feed off of with revenge and bitterness. And so then it became a whole different thing. So that is really where where do we find the happy medium for that? And as I was watching this show, there was one point where Sue Sue knew that her son was struggling a little bit. It was actually, I think she said two weeks before he committed this crime and uh, she had grabbed him and she held his face with her hands and she told him that she loved him and that he, I think something to the effect of like, you're, you're so worthy or I'm so proud of you or something like that. And she said, he kind of shrugged it away and she grabbed him again. And she goes, I need you to know that, you know, I need you to know that. And he okay, mom, love you too. And she said, he just kind of like, you know, mumbled it a little bit. And she said, if I knew that that was the last time that I would ever touch my son, I probably would have, could she have said more? You know, she said, I just didn't know that was the last time I was going to be able to touch his face. Ugh, broke my heart because she's a mom guys. She didn't raise her son to grow up and be a killer. Like that's not, that wasn't in the cards of what she wanted for his life. And nor did, was she a bad mom? This is the thing I really want to point to people is, you know, it's a touchy thing. Cause I know as a victim, you're like, I can't even see past that. Like, but really we have to look at the, the other side of this too, as people, as humans to realize are there some horrible parents out there? Of course, you know, did I have a difficult mom, but would I vilify my mom and say it's all her fault if I do something horrific? No, that's on me. She did the best she could, but this mom in particular, she was a good mom. Like she, he was a good dad. Like they, they had a good family. Like there wasn't anything super crazy going on in their family. She said, you know, I just thought he was, he, he looked a little depressed, but like he didn't, he didn't seem like something was way out of whack. And of course you're never thinking that your child is going to be that. And so she said, you know, until it happens to you, like you just don't realize how serious it is. And so then we come to the fork in the road of like, how do we find out if there is a problem or have I communicated enough or how do we do these kind of things to make our kids an be more mindful. And so we're talking about mindfulness. So there was a school that they interviewed this school that was teaching these kindergartners, which I thought was just fabulous. They had this school that teaches mindfulness and, and how to talk about feelings. And they were sitting around on the floor with these kindergartners and 
they were teaching them breathing techniques, which I thought was so good. And, um, and then also just like exercise, stretching kind of things to really release that stuff in their body. And they did something called starfish breathing, which I thought was so cute. And so they took their one little index finger, they opened their other hand wide, and then they would breathe through each, they would run their index finger along each finger on the other hand, like up and down starfish breathing. So they would breathe through with well, as they were like tracing their finger along their other hand and she was asking him how did that feel and they said oh it just felt so good they felt calm they looked calm they were like this felt really good i liked it and then this one little kid said you know sometimes people say they have like monkey brain which means like a scrambling of like a lot of different thoughts in their head he goes I just get that. Meaning that he knew what that felt like. And I was like, oh yeah, like these little kids have a lot of stuff in their head and nobody's talking to them about it or helping them breathe through it or helping them just express their feelings and their emotions. And so he's like, yeah, when they talk about monkey brain, like I just get it. And when he said that, I was like, oh, you poor little sweetie. Like, I just love that. He could express that and say that because how many times do you see, like, I see it in my grandson, like his brain is just bursting with, with all these thoughts and all these ideas and all these things. And sometimes it stresses him out. You can see it. And we try to talk him through things. Like when we can see him getting like stressed out about something, we don't yell at him or tell him like, just stop the, just, just stop that. Like, just be this way. This is how it used to be done. Like this is how it was done to me. It was like, don't have that emotion. Just shut it down. Just stop it. But when you can really sit with that and go, tell me what, you know, the first time Ariel did this with her son, I was like, what are you doing? Cause we didn't do that with her. <laughs> and we were like, come on, let's go. We got to get going. But she would sit with him and just say, bub, what, what's wrong? Tell me what you're feeling, right? Tell me what you're feeling right now. And then he could tell her and then they could have a short conversation about it. And it was like, okay, I hear you. I see you. And here's what we really need to do right now. Can you do that for me right now? And then they would have a little conversation about it. And it was like, it brought the temperament down so that he learns how to express his emotions and handle his emotions. And I think this is what was lost and is being lost is that we're in such a fast food economy of like, everything has to be done right away. God forbid, if you have to wait in line for five minutes, you are raging. You are just out of control. But where did we get that? Like, when did that start? Because I'm confused. Like, I don't know why we feel like we have to be so entitled to have everything at such a fast pace. And then you are bypassing a lot of the emotions that you have. And if you teach that to children, what happens then that that creates a lot of frustration in kids and a lot of emotions that are going untapped. And so that's why we're seeing a lot of these raging moments with teens and things where they're just like, I'm done. I've had it. Like, I don't even know what to do with all of these thoughts and emotions in my head. And so this documentary talked about, you know, this school and how it would be better to teach things at a young age rather than rather than this was gold. 
We should be teaching mindfulness at a young age rather than doing drills of how to prepare what to do in a crisis because that's the aftermath. We should be doing things before the crisis hits. Like ding, ding, that was a big valuable thing in this whole documentary. I was like, wow, like mic drop right there. That that in itself is gold. Like, yes, we should be teaching kids how to handle their emotions and talk to them more about what they are feeling before they go and pick up a gun and say, I don't even care if I die, but I'm taking everyone out with me. Like, where does that come from? You know, that is pent up, I don't know what, and mental health that has been unchecked. So that part in the story was so good in watching how this one school is teaching this type of thing and trying to continue that all through grammar school so that these children really know when you come up against these hard things, and we will because this is life, how are you going to handle that emotion? How are you going to handle that feeling? And what are you going to do mentally to keep yourself in check so that you can remain a healthy, mindful person? And also have empathy because let's be real, you have no empathy if you've gotten to that other side where you don't care, like maybe you want to end your life, but you don't care if you hurt someone else. You have no empathy. You're not thinking about someone else's feelings. So you have just erased like a whole emotion out of your body. So I think the point of this whole thing is we need to be better for our kids. So they're not going to grow up and not know how to process emotions and then rage and go off the deep end and hurt others. And there is no doubt, like, please hear me, what these boys did was horrific and it keeps happening at a fast pace. And I I don't even want to watch the news anymore because it's just, it's a daily thing now. And so the question becomes like, what can we do for these children now to change the narrative of this evil? Because here's the other flip side as a Christian, evil is coming after your children. And if you don't teach your kids a firm foundation and teach them mindfulness to there is what I call body, mind, and spirit, it is the holy trinity of that. You have to have a firm foundation of a faith. You have to have a firm foundation of what your mind is about. And you have to have a Holy Spirit guttural spiritual feeling in your body to know right from wrong. And without those things, you're just missing a lot of parts in your life. And then life is zooming by and you're not able to keep up and you don't have anyone to go to and you don't have a God to pray to. And you just don't know what to do with these emotions. And then one day all hell breaks loose. When I was looking at this documentary, I just thought like, man, If I had had a teacher like that, that taught mindfulness and emotions, maybe it would have helped me to process my feelings. And maybe I could have shared with someone about what was really going on in my household. And we could have gotten help from my mom. I spent years mentally suffering because I didn't understand. One, I didn't know if I was going to become like my mom, um, mentally ill you know, bipolar, major depression, the, all the things. And two, I was struggling with my mental health, um, through postpartum and things like that. And I just struggled through it, struggled through it for years. 
until I finally started working on myself and realizing like, girl, you got some work to do because your body's a mess and your mind is a mess right now. And even though I was doing the right things and I was trying to be the best mom I could be, there are times I wish I could have a redo if I'm quite honest because I feel like I missed out on some things because I was really just, as I have talked recently, I talked to this mops group and I said, I was white knuckling my motherhood for the first five years because I had so many emotions in my head and I didn't know who to take those to because I thought they're going to lock me up if they know (laughs) what's really going inside of my brain and nobody should have to feel that way. So I, um, I think about that, like, wow, what would have, what would have been different and how could we have changed the generations a lot sooner had I had a teacher that really taught me how those emotions were okay. It was okay to talk about it. It was okay to feel those things. And then here's what we can do to help you process. I pray that that is something that we can do moving forward. I am committed to doing that with my grandchildren, that next generation. I will not let my children be swept away by the evils of the world because that's just how it is. And there's just so much internet and so much this and so much that, like we're not paying attention. We are paying attention in our family very much so. And I'm committed to helping my grandchildren be the best mentally, physically, spiritually that they can be. And so I pray that for you guys too. And that is all I have to say on this episode, other than, man, I just pray for you mamas and Keep that communication line open with your children and keep praying over them and with them and through them. And until next time, peeps, I will see you later. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you want to get connected with other women who share your unmothered heart, head on over to my private Unmothered Facebook community group. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for this podcast to help me share this message with other listeners. All the links mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes below. Bye, peeps.